Right now is a great opportunity uh, to practice what I preached on a couple weeks ago. And I, it's something that I have been saying over and over again, and I don't just say this because it's a pet peeve of mine. I really believe that as we walk into these last days, this is going to become more and more important. And you have to build... You, you have to build a bias in your mind. I use that word periodically. We all have a bias. It's, it's kind of what we default into, the way we think. And, uh, you know, there's some people that uh, I don't care what's going down. They got a positive bias. I mean, they're going to get through it. They're going to overcome it. They're going to make it. There's other people, they find the negative in everything. And they're going to tell you about it. And, and they're just always going to find it. It doesn't matter how good things are going. We all have biases, Amen. And, and it's a, a default in our thinking of the way that we go. Now, the thing that I'm talking about that you better put in practice is this word called overcoming. And most people do not have a bias to overcome until maybe it hits a critical point to where it's like survival. Then, then maybe they'll get in a fighting mode to attack whatever's attacking them. But uh, if you don't practice overcoming and training yourself to think in an overcoming manner, you're not going to be an overcomer. And the Bible is very clear in this, this study of revelations that we've been going through. Uh, every letter to every church was uh, to, there's promise to him that overcomes. And uh, now when it comes to attacking our body, I, I'll give you a, a, a recap on this thing. I told a long time ago when God started dealing with me on it is that it's far easier to beat when you feel less good. You're not sick. You're, you're not fighting anything. You just feel less good. That's when your overcoming mentality has got to kick in. Because it's easy to beat right there. Once it gets on your body, now it's a lot harder to turn the ship around uh, because your body's fighting things, there's things going on in you. But, but you've got to train yourself, and right now is a great time because stuff is going around. And um, uh, I didn't tell nobody, but uh, uh, well, you may know this part. I went to India, uh, but I didn't take no malaria meds. I, you know, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it. And, uh, um, you know, the Bible says no pestilence will come near you. We're in this one place of mosquitoes all around. I'm just saying, no pestilence come near me. They're, they're a bunch of pestilence. And uh, uh, I killed a few of them. And uh, I, I had an interesting thing because the lady that sat next to, actually there was three seats in the middle and one was empty. So she was in the window and I was on the aisle. It was on the 17-hour flight. And uh, she had a mask on the whole time. And so, uh, but there's a mosquito in there. And she went, bah! I'm not afraid of those things. I said, that thing could have killed you. <laughs> you know, the virus thing is just a flu bug. I mean, uh, but anyway. All right. So we're in the book of Revelations. And uh, I'm, I'm going to deal with the 70 weeks uh, tonight. And I've tried to figure out how to put this together. I'm going to start off reading in Revelations, although we're not going to stay there. <clears throat> we, we've dealt with Revelations chapter 1, uh, kind of introductory chapter. And, and uh, John talking to Jesus and different things that we went through then. 
immediately moved over into the seven letters to the seven churches and we we broke those down and i tell you every single one had to him that overcomes you better get this in your mind an overcoming mentality chapter four shifts gears and uh, if you look at verse one it says and, and after this after he received the seven letters uh, that he was going to send to the seven churches i looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the First voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. I will show thee things which must come. Now at the rapture of the church, you're going to hear a voice that says, come up here. Oh, but I, I can't ever, God never speaks to me. You probably won't hear it. How are you going to respond to somebody you can't hear? You, uh, the Bible says my sheep know my voice. And if you're walking around saying, well, man, I just don't know his voice. You better start learning it. Amen. You know, Tammy can start talking. You know, she does that. And um, I know it's her. I don't even have to turn around and look at her. Because I know her voice. My sheep know my voice. You mothers have a little toddler or something like that. And they go... They can be all the way across the target. Mommy, you know it's your child. Because you know the voice. So John heard this, and immediately he's before the throne of God. It says, a trumpet talking, which says, come up here, and I'll show you things that are to come. And immediately I was in the Spirit. That's what's going to happen at the rapture. Immediately we will be in the Spirit. And, uh, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and as he sat uh, to look upon... Uh, it was like a jasper, a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight of an emerald, uh, or sight like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And there's other things that goes into. Now we're going to come, <clears throat> we're going to come back to this probably next week, and I'll break it down and talk through it. What I want to emphasize here <clears throat> is that remember I'm teaching this from a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, there's all kinds of eschatology. In fact, it was kind of fun uh, and interesting. We're over in India, and Julius and Pastor Harbaugh and myself were having breakfast, and so we started talking doctrines. And, um, uh, and so uh, I, I know what pastor's doctrine is, and, which is very similar to mine. Uh, Julius, I had no idea. And, uh, and remember, I said your eschatology... Uh, there's an old saying that says that, um, uh, how's that go, that uh, on majors we have to agree, that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, on minors we have liberty, we're going to disagree on some things, but in all things we must walk, walk in love. So we're talking, and uh, so it doesn't bother me if somebody disagrees with me, you've got a different eschatology, that's fine with me. Uh, you'll find out I'm right in the end, but it's, it's okay. Uh, it, it doesn't bother me one bit. And uh, so uh, I was talking to to uh, Julius, and he believes we're in the tribulation right now. So he was talking about it. I don't. I believe that as we read Matthew 24, we're in the, the beginnings of sorrows. I think things are lining up, but I do not believe that we're in the seven-year tribulation. He does. We got to talking about other things. There's a pastor that I know down in Bakersfield, and he believes that the tribulation took place in the year 70 A.D. Now, there's a doctrine on that, and, and they go back in and when Nero... 
uh, was uh, doing all the stuff he's doing in Rome, and he killed uh, the Apostle Paul and stuff like that, and they believe that the tribulation happened back then. Uh, I don't believe that, but there are people that believe that, and they have their verses that they stand on uh, on there. I asked uh, uh, Julius, I said, well, are you a, a, a pre-trib rapture, a mid-trib rapture, or a, a, you know, go all the way through the trib uh, rapture? And he gave me this really long answer, and I said, okay, that's good. I said, but you didn't answer my question. My question was this. So he gave me this really long answer, and he never answered my question. And uh, so there's a group of people out there that believe that there is no rapture. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe that's what he believes, that you just kind of go through all this stuff, and then you get down to a point, and it all comes to an end. And the reason I'm saying this is because there are a lot of different doctrines out there. Now, I'm, I'm going to lay the case on why I wanted to read out of chapter 4, because when chapter 4 on, we're going to get into, as we go through Revelations, all the things that are going on in heaven and in earth. Because that's where a lot of people get, I, I just don't understand it, is because he shifts back and forth. There's things that are happening in, in heaven simultaneously as things happening on earth. So we'll get to it later today, but just a, a quick uh, trivia question. When is the marriage supper of the Lamb? During the seven-year seven tribulation on a pre-tribulation rapture. So the marriage supper of the Lamb is not for everybody that goes to heaven because some people will miss the rapture. So only the real church is going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb because if you miss the rapture, you're still here. Okay, but this is going on simultaneously. And so, and as we go through Revelations, we're going to look at that and we're going to, uh, uh, I'm going to break things down. But this, but the, the reason I'm saying this is because we're going to go to the 70 weeks of Daniel and it's going to, it's going to illustrate or make, make more sense, I believe, in, in that when we get to chapter four, the very first thing that happens to John is boom, a door opens in heaven. He hears come up here and immediately he's in the spirit standing before the throne of God and there's things going on. That is a picture of the church being raptured. Now, as we go through Revelations, I'm going to contrast that with Revelations chapter seven of people who came out of the tribulation. Uh, there's another rapture that takes place in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, and those are people who had robes of righteousness, but they were spotted. Remember in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus said, or you know, Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, said that Jesus is coming back after a church that is what? Without spot or wrinkle. And so if there's spots and wrinkles, you miss a rapture. It's kind of simple like that. Um, and so we're going to... Uh, we're going to go through that. So, so we're going to start off here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So let's turn yeah. over there. there. Yeah. If I can find 2 Thessalonians here. Oh, there was another trivia question I was just going to ask you. What was that? I don't remember. Maybe I'll remember later. All right. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And I got my, uh, I might, let me go ahead and get my, uh, where'd my Amplified go? Because I'm probably going to bounce back and forth. Let me find it in both Bibles. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Paul here, writing to the Thessalonians, is talking about the coming of Jesus. Now, there's one thing that, that happens in the verbalization, when people start talking about 
uh, the return of the Lord, the end of all times, different things like that. There, at the rapture of the church, Jesus does not come to the earth. We meet him in the air. The next time that Jesus puts his foot on the earth in that element is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. That's called the Battle of Armageddon. So uh, a lot of people, they'll say things like at the coming of the Lord and they're meaning the rapture of the church, but we go up to meet him. And so we have to kind of keep that straight in our mind. Amplified says, but relative to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and our gathering together to meet him, we beg you, brethren, I'm going back to King James now, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as the day of, of Christ is at hand. Now, this verse number two is a big failure right now. A lot of Christians are failing at this. Let me read it out of the Amplified. Not to allow your minds to be quickly unsettled or disturbed or kept excited or alarmed, whether it be by some pretended revelation of the Spirit or by word or by letter uh, uh, alleged to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already arrived and is here. We, you and I are not supposed to be moved by the things that are going on. And this is a discipline of the mind, which in the day and age we live in, most people do not have. They, they have no control over their minds. Uh, it's a very big problem. And you have, to, you have to be able to keep yourself as we walk through these last days. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound negative or, or anything, but I believe that statement that I just made is like far beyond real of what people imagine. People just going through life, get moved by their emotions, and they just, you know, somebody can't even say an ouchy word to them without them getting all discombobulated. If you can't keep yourself on the Word of God, you're going to have a major problem walking through the last days. Because the Bible says that there is going to be a lot of stuff happening. And that stuff is going to slap you and me. And if you can't control your mind to discipline your mind, according to natural statistics, Studies done of humanity and things like that, somewhere between only uh, three and eight percent of people are actually living their life on purpose. They have a plan. They're they're plotting out their plan. They're staying focused. They're not allowing distractions to take them off their plan. You move that. What if we fall into the ninety three percent? Do we think that when we walk to church matters, all of a sudden we become disciplined of mind? Yeah, you're not. You're, you're, you're the same way in the spirit as you are in the carnal. And, and we have to take these things seriously on how, and this is what Paul's writing by the Holy Spirit. Don't allow your minds to go crazy. You, you got to get control. And, and so many people are just submitted to their emotions, how they feel. This comes back into that element that I was talking about of overcoming. This is why people don't have an overcoming mindset is because they have a, a yielding mindset to whatever's coming against them. There's no discipline of thought. Casting down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Yours and my, uh, in the three makeup portion, we're made in the, end of, in the uh, image of Christ. We're made in the image of God. God is a three-part being. We're a three-part being. There's only one God. 
means a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. Jesus was the body. God's the spirit. Holy Spirit is uh, the, the, the function of personality or communication. Acts chapter 1. Go back in there and study that. How now through the Holy Spirit, he speaks to men. Uh, you and I are a three-part being. And uh, there's a, there's a three-part salvation you and I have to deal with. The easiest one is getting born again. The Spirit. I don't know which of the other two is the hardest, but one is the crucifixion of your flesh to not go the way you want to go. And the other is the renewing of your mind or disciplining of your mind and keeping your mind on track. All three have to be uh, that you sanctify me holy, spirit, soul, and body. That my mind is washed by the word of God. They all have to be dealt with. And so that's, that's what he's dealing with here now. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, the, uh, another thing that I just got to exhort. Um, deception is talked about a lot in the Bible. The interesting thing about the concept topic of deception is everybody that's a Christian that's read their Bible knows that the Bible talks about deception, but nobody thinks they can be deceived. You can. Don't, don't, you know, many will be deceived. It doesn't affect me. I won't be deceived. No, 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 no. Many will be deceived. Let no man deceive you. How are you going to not let anyone deceive you? Okay, you got to stay in the word. But what does that mean? See, because there's a problem with that in Christianity. Because a lot of people read the Bible, but they don't know how to live the Bible. It, it's information in their brain. You, you can be deceived. You, you, can, you can have a PhD in uh, uh, theology and still be deceived. You, you, can't, you, can't under, you can't get this. Uh, we were having a conversation in uh, uh, India, Pastor and I, and we were talking about the tithe and everything like that. And I, I told him, I said, here's the problem that I see with the tithe. There's a lot of people that believe in the tithe, but they don't know how to lock faith with the tithe. Well, no, no, no. I, I believe. I, I believe the tithe has problems. Yeah, but, but is your faith wrapped with your tithe? Or are you just giving because you believe in it? It's totally two different subjects. And most people are like in their sowing, not just money, but whether it's an offering, whether it's a tithe, whether it's sowing of your time, whether it's sowing, you know, whatever you sow in your life, most people don't know how to, how to lock their faith with their sowing so that their sowing, that seed, will produce the harvest that they're expecting. Because now I just went like into the spiritual realm on that of how it operates. But, but the natural way to understand things is to just believe in it. Oh, well, there's a lot of people that go to church because they believe Christians should go to church, rightly so. But they have no faith in going to church. See, at, at some point, the, the only way that you're going to not be deceived is you judge your life by the word of God. And, and I tell you right now, there's Christians all over this world that they know a lot of Bible, but they don't live it one bit. It's just information that they have. This is where I talk about how far can you walk with Jesus, because when pressure comes against you, your ability to stand on the word versus yielding to the pressure is going to be determined by how much that word is life to you. So if, if you... Uh, there's a lot of preachers out there, and a lot of them are goofy. They're not preaching Bible. 
There's one guy that said, no, no, I preach things. And when I say things that may not be in the Bible, but I hear bells, I know heaven's endorsing what I'm saying. Oh, oh, don't laugh. This person has lots and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousand followers. There's there's preachers out there preaching now that there is no hell. Okay, they've got these are some of the biggest churches in America. Well, they're not all in America, but but, uh, you know, talking about being here. So so don't think you can't get deceived. Uh, That guy that worked for me in finance, he sold two Electroluxes to one house. Why? I asked him, I said, Freddie, why'd you do that? He said, because I could. A good salesman can sell. They can take you places you never intended to go. Don't come on. How many bought something you did not want because the salesman was so good? Bunch of liars. Come on. (laughs) A good salesman can get you. They know how to get you there. Uh, We're all subject to deception. The only way that you're not going to be deceived is that the reality of the word of God is greater than the reality of what you're facing. And for most Christians, that, that is not uh, really there. We are bound to think, oops, wrong chapter, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. Watch this. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. Now let me read it out of the um, Amplified. Let no one deceive or beguile you in any way, for that day will not come except the apostasy comes first, unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians has come, and the man of lawlessness, sin, is revealed, who is the son of doom, or of perdition. Now, that is a statement of deception. So he said that there's going to be a great falling away. Now, this has been explained in many different ways. How it's going to manifest, I don't know. Uh, it talks about those who have, confessed Je- who have confessed Jesus as their Christ, that they walk away from him. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I'll just, I'll just see what, what happens without him. Okay, that could be. Uh, Dr. Barclay, I think, made a good point. When, when I've heard him do it a couple of times where he asked the question, could it not be that these large churches who have walked away from the word of God and are teaching wrong doctrines and are getting masses, is, might that be the great falling away? They still think they're following Christ, but now they're per- following a perverted gospel because they've walked away from this based on new revelation that satisfies the carnal flesh. I can live how I want. I can do what I want. I can still go to church and still go to heaven. I'm not sure, but the Bible does say there is, however it's defined, that before something happens, there's going to be a great falling away and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there's going to be a lot of deception. There's going to be a great falling away and the man, which is called the beast or the Antichrist, can be revealed, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So he's, he's reiterating things he had already told. Here we, now we start coming into the part that I really want to get to. And now we know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So so he's referring back to 
the, the, the scripture that we just read um, uh, in verse uh, 4, uh, no, verse 3, except the falling away and that the man of sin be revealed. That's what he's referring to right there. We know what withholdeth, uh, we know, and now we know what withholdeth, that he might re- be revealed in his time. So there's something holding him back from coming out, from, from, from taking his position that he's going to take. And, and Paul's explaining it here. For to, uh, let me read verse 6 out of the Amplified. And now you know what is restraining him. From being revealed at this time, it is so that he may be manifested, revealed in his own appointed time. So there's an appointed time for this man to be revealed. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, old English word that's no longer in in use. Uh, Let me read it out of the the Amplified. So, For the mystery of lawlessness, that hidden principle of rebellion against constituted authority is already at work in the world, but it is restrained only until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Now, there is a doctrine that talks about that the the Spirit of God is going to be removed from the earth. Now, that can't happen. Number one, it, using the word physically, I mean, it's spirit, God is spirit, you know, Holy Spirit, spirit, but it can't physically happen because He's omniscient. He's everywhere. You, you cannot remove the Spirit of God out of someplace because He's everywhere. Okay, so, so that, that wouldn't work on that. Number two, how, is, how else can one get saved if the Spirit of God is not present? And we see throughout, we will see as we walk through Revelations, that people are still getting born again. People are still receiving God all the way up until the end. And so... Um, uh, so that doctrine, I don't think there's any, I don't know of any scriptures that can really make that doctrine work. So the only other thing that would be is that what is powerful enough to withstrain this is the church. This is where I've said many times, the church doesn't realize how strong they are. We've not be very strong because people think they individually are the church. It's the body of Christ unified that God has empowered and said in, in authority, and I tell you, these are, you know, I don't mean to step on toes because you know me, I don't like stepping on toes. Um, I think we slap Jesus in the face all the time. If we really study what he did, the price he paid for us, and what we allow into our life, I think we slap him in the face. I think a lot of the things we're asking for in petition, I don't know, I mean, just... He's love. I mean, I guess that's the only answer that I can really get. But all the things that we ask for in petition, he's already given to us. And yet we keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. Something else as we ask for him to give us what he's already done for us. And, and we're not stepping up walking in what he has already equipped us to walk in. And again, I think this, has, this goes into our bias, how we think. We've got we've to realize who we are with Christ in us. It really means something. And we we need to understand what it means. Okay. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restrains will continue restraining until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed 
whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, I want to reiterate back in here that um, I'm, I'm t what I'm teaching from is a pre uh, a pre-tribulation rapture. And so uh, uh, there's many, like I said, in eschatology, there's many different uh, elements of this. And so uh, the, the way people teach them and, you know, it, it doesn't make me mad if somebody else, you know, has a different, uh, um, you know, doctrine of eschatology. Uh, it's a minor. Your, yours and my belief on when Jesus is coming back on a rapture is really irrelevant. We're, we're dissecting scriptures and trying to find it. It's going to happen the way he set it up to happen. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, I don't have, I'm not really stuck on, on um, this. Probably is also one of the reasons I don't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, I'm more interested in being ready for when it does happen. And I think, I think even from the study of revelations and th stuff like that, I think the study of deception is, is, is more, more needed. You've you got to stand and not be uh, defeated. I think the study of overcoming is uh, more needed. So I'm going to, uh, I'm a horrible drawer, uh, but I'm going to try to do something here. Am I working yet? Oh, no, I got I to gotta mirror it. Hang on. Hey, I pulled that corner down. Oh, there it goes. So I'm going to try to make this visual as I walk through it. And um, it's circling. Oh, there we go. Got it? All right. I'm going to try to make this visual as we walk through it. And this is going to be a timeline. And this is the cross that Jesus um, was crucified on. Now, everything's about the cross. And really, as you study this, uh, really the Bible in general, there's God's dealing with the Jews. Actually, if God would have had his perfect way, we'd also be in the garden, right? Okay, so that didn't happen. So then God put this and came to Abraham and started this. But in, in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, he said, all families of the earth shall be blessed by you. But they had a Jewish mentality. Now we see, uh, who is the, the woman? Was it, was it Ruth, the Moabite? It was Ruth. Okay, so she was a Moabite, she was not, but she became a Jew. So people could become grafted in and, uh, and become Jewish. And that was God's plan is that his people would include all peoples. And then even whenever uh, Jesus died, rose again from the dead, Matthew 28, go ye in all the world, uh, um, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, making disciples of all nations, all nations. So they went out and ministered to all the Jews. Uh, and it wasn't until Acts chapter 10 that uh, uh, Cornelius came to Peter. Remember, he had the, the vision that, you know, pork coming down or whatever. He said, don't call common unclean what I've said. And then finally, oh, I perceive. Uh, perceive God is not a respecter of persons. This is for the, the Gentiles also. So if God would have had a perfect, uh, his perfect plan as the Jewish nation followed him, which they failed at that many times, they would have been evangelizing the world, bringing them into this covenant that God had with them. Okay, so uh, we get down to, uh, in our timeline, down to the cross, Jesus comes, dies for all, and then um, uh, says, go out to everybody, you know, take it. My spirit's going to live. We, we're in the church age and I'm going to show that and everything. But uh, he still has this covenant with um, the Jews. And so uh, we, uh, being Gentiles, I mean, you may have Jewish blood in you, but I don't think we really have anybody like that. Um, but so we're basically all, you know, part of the church age. 
uh, God has not forgot his people. We've been grafted in. And he, there's even words in there, Paul talking about, just, you know, don't, don't get on your, your high and mighty horse. If, he, if God could turn and graft you in uh, and let them uh, you know, walk in, in uh, destruction for a long time, he can do the same thing with you. So, so we, we should be just grateful of his mercy uh, and his grace that we could live in this. Okay, so now uh, we're going to go over to uh, Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to see how, and I'm hoping that the way I did this is going to make sense on why, I, uh, um, why I'm approaching this from a pre-tribulation um, standpoint, why I believe a pre-tribulation. And it's going to make, as we walk through Revelations, make more sense um, on the things that I talk about. Chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. But somebody took Daniel out of my Bible. I know it was there earlier. There you go. Okay, there we go. All right, so now this, this is like a major study, and, uh, but I'm not going to approach it major league. I'm, I'm basically going to do it all tonight, and then we're going to go back to, um, to Revelations next week. But uh, in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, Wrong page. One more page. It says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Um, you know, let me, let me come into that. Go back up to verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, that's the angel, archangel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding at the beginning of thy supplications. The commandment came forth, and I, came, and I am come to show thee thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So now he goes into it. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, Okay, so, so number one, what's the holy city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, and who are Daniel's peoples? The Jews. Okay, so 70 weeks are determined upon them. Now, the, the 70 weeks uh, in some places is called 77s or 70 weeks of years. So one week equals seven years for a total of 900 or 490 years. Okay, you with me? Amen. Has it been more than 490 years since Daniel? Yes. Yeah, okay, but, but this, this time period is for 490 years. Now, to finish the, now he's going to name, depending on how you count them, six or seven uh, things that, that is going to take place. I'm not going to go through it. I mean, it should make pretty much sense just reading the, what he says. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. Now, some people will take that to make an end of sins that once Christ came, that there is no more sin because he died for sin. But there, it's in the context of what is stated. We, we, have, we have the power now to live without sin and we have the power of the forgiveness of sin without uh, killing animals and different things like that. Uh, so it's not like an absolute, there is no more sin because we can look around the world right now, there's a lot of sin going on. And we're, you know... Uh, and ever since Christ, to make reconciliation for iniquity, 
the wages of sin he paid for, to bring in everlasting righteousness. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, or we can be. To seal up the vision. It's six if you read it to seal up the vision and prophecy. It's seven if it's to seal up the vision and to seal up prophecy, depending on how you do it. And to anoint the most holy, which is Jesus. Okay, so, uh, so know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, so, so I'm just going to take a mark here. And right here is the going forth. Okay, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the, uh, the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two. Now three score and two is 62. A score is 20. So three score, three times 20 is 60 and two, 62. So, and then right before that, he said in 60 and uh, seven weeks. So what's 62 and seven? 69. So these are the 70 weeks. Remember, it was determined 70 weeks. So there's one more week. So what you've got is, let me just kind of put a little right there for the seven weeks. Because seven weeks would be 49 years. Now, so, and then the 62 weeks would be 434 years, which gives us 483 years, which is seven years short of 490. Seven weeks, 70 times seven. Are, are, are you with me? Did I lose you? Okay. Okay, King Artaxerxes, if I'm pronouncing it right, Persia, 444 B.C., uh, and from history gave the, we, we know it from history also, not just the Bible, gave the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That was, that's, you can read about that in Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8. Remember, Nehemiah was, was, heavy before the king and what well my, my country might you know everything will go and he gave him lead to rebuild the city it took 49 years for them to rebuild it okay that's the 49 years that we just read about where there's going to be uh there uh, uh to build jerusalem unto the messiah prince shall be seven weeks if each if each week is seven years seven times seven is 49 so that's my, oh, wow, on my, that's a pretty small up there. Okay, but so King, where, where this is at right here is when the decree was given. This right here is what I'm calling, I just arbitrarily making the line, is 49 years. Jerusalem is made. Okay, all we're doing is following a timeline right now. And shall be seven weeks and three score and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again, the wall, even in turbulent times. After three score and two weeks, that's 62 weeks. That's going to be from here to here. 62 weeks. Say it again. 62 weeks? 483 years. Am I answering your question? Okay, what was it? Say the question again. Okay, it says three scores and two weeks. Is that 39 weeks? 
No, three score is 60. So three score plus two is 62 weeks, which is 483 years. Or, wait a minute. Forty-nine. Oh no, 49 years plus 434 years. So this is 49 and this is 434. Okay. So that takes us up to, that's going to take us up to the 16, 483 years, which is seven years short of the 70 weeks. All right. Now, history tells us, and people that's done all this math and research and historical thing, they say it was exactly that amount of time. There, there's a difference in calendar that they used back then that was, uh, uh, I think Sergey knows this. Uh, was it a, was it a, um, on the, the old calendar versus our calendar here? What was the difference in the time frames? It, it was just based on a full, a 30 day where we have like 31s and stuff like that in it. Well, going back to the, the, the calendar that was used back there, it's calculated exactly at that. That from the time that that was given to the completion of Jerusalem to the cross was that number of years. So now we're missing seven years. Okay, are you following me now? That seven years is the tribulation. So now what we have here... is another time period. I'm not a good drawer. And this right here is the rapture. Okay. And then you have one week. And you have Armageddon. I don't know how to spell that. Arm. That's short. <laughs> okay, that, that should be right at the end of the point right there. And then you have, anybody know what comes after that? After Armageddon. 1,000 years. The millennial reign of Christ. Okay, so all, you, all the people that's telling you that this earth is going to melt if we don't, you know, get an EV car or something like that, you got over a thousand years left on this earth um, that's, that's going to happen. So, verse 26, And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and at the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's right here, the one week. Now, all this time, you've got to keep in mind how God was dealing with the Jewish nation. But right here, this, this is the church age. This is when we got grafted in and God's focus has been on the church. But during the tribulation, God's attention turns back to the Jews. Now, you're going to see this as we walk through Revelations. And if you can kind of remember my drawing here, because there's 144,000. You ever remember hearing about them? 
Now, the Jehovah Witnesses teach that they were the 144,000. I don't know what they're doing now because they're way bigger than that. But, but they, they believed at one time that only 144,000 would, you know, make it. It was those of the, Je of the Jehovah Witnesses and things like that. But, this is, but the 144,000 are, are Jewish evangelists. And we'll break that down when we go through that. And uh, they're raptured shortly after the mid-tribulation, uh, after about three and a half years. And so, but what they do, and there's prophecy in the Old Testament, is that with every one Jew that they, uh, that they convert to Christ, there will be 10 Gentiles. So we see salvation going on during the tribulation period on that. But going back, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, that's the, that's the mid-tribulation. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblations to cease. And for the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consumption uh, and the determined shall be poured out upon the desolation. Now, within the, um, uh, within the, the uh, this, is, this right here is going to be the tribulation. This is a seven-year um, time frame. And this is going to be three and a half. So if you miss the tribulation, or if you miss the rapture, because the rapture is right here, because the removal of the, the church is what opens the door for, uh, for the man of sin to be revealed. Now, you remember where we read on uh, Daniel that... Uh, did I read it? Excuse uh, me. Let me go back here. I think it's at the beginning of the chapter. Okay. In chapter 9, Daniel, uh, Daniel's praying, verse 3, And I set my face uh, unto the Lord God to seek my, my prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, made confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful, and he, he goes through that, uh, we have sinned, uh, we have committed iniquity, we have done, uh, you know, uh, wickedly and everything like that. So in his praying here, um, he was praying and repenting for his sins and for the sins of his nation. We, we need to learn this. Our nation is a nation of sin. And we need to be repenting for it and come before God because there's a, we, we uh, have voted wicked people into offices because we've been more loyal to parties than we have been to the word of God. There are die-hard Christian party or die-hard political party Christians. They will vote their party over the Word of God every day and Sunday too. And we, American people, are the ones responsible for all the wicked people that are in offices because we start thinking about, well, well, maybe they'll make my social security better, or maybe they'll lower my taxes, or, or maybe this is good for me, or maybe that's good for me, instead of putting and running for, we don't have a lot of good Christians running for offices, uh, trying to shape our government. So Daniel was praying and repenting uh, for his sins and the sins of his people when all this started taking place. So we have the rapture of the church, and then we've got at here the mid Trib rapture. We're going to read about that in Revelations chapter 7. We have the 144,000 rapture right after that. And then we have the, the uh, two prophets that are raised from the dead and taken up. Okay, so we've got one, two, three. There's four raptures in that seven year period. 
But see, most people, when you talk about rapture, they're only talking about this one right here. And, uh, and in rapturing being taken up, uh, we actually, there's actually seven. Uh, started with Enoch, we had Elijah, uh, we had Jesus, we have the church, we have the mid-tribulation saints, we have the 144,000, we've got the two prophets at the end of the tribulation period. Again, we get back to the number seven. And so, so my point on tonight, before we get back into Revelation, because we're going to start going through, remember that during the tribulation, there's, there's things going on in earth. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, when all this takes place, it's going to be as the days of Noah. Noah had a big boat. If you ever get a chance to go to the ark over in... Uh, I can't remember where it's at, um, right across the border. It's, at, right, it's across the border in Ohio. We were in Ohio, but when I go over there, it's pretty amazing to see. The, the, the anger of God was poured out on the earth through a flood, right? Didn't matter how high the water went, the boat went up and stayed on top. When the water subsided and came back down, the boat came back down. It's a picture of the rapture of the church. The church is going to go up. In a rapture, seven years in, in heaven, you get the marriage supper of the Lamb, MSL. Hmm. Okay, and then guess who's going to be with Jesus when he comes back for Armageddon? Us. Yeah, we are. And so, again, it's the picture, uh, as he says, like the days of uh, Noah. Noah rose above the, the, the wrath of God. New Testament says we are not appointed to wrath. Uh, Bible says that the seven-year period of time is the wrath of God. So this, uh, to me anyway, uh, hopefully it made sense to you, that if we have a picture of Daniel's 70, 70 weeks in our mind, that God has, has set these things in order, and they've been going in order. Now the thing we don't know is how long the, the, the church element's going to last. Based on Matthew 24 and the things that are going on, it looks like we're getting close. Uh, but the Bible says that the latter church shall be greater than the former church. We ain't there yet. It, it, it's hard to even get people to go to church. I mean, when, when you go to the book of Acts and in Antioch, where they were first called Christians, they were afraid of the church. There was a lot of people. They stood afar and watched them because, because they walked in power and authority. We're, we're praying, asking God to... Uh, to, to give us things and help us with things that he's already given and, and given us power over. And, and we, can't, we can't get through our, our mindset or we're looking for doctrines that, that give us the privilege that we can live however we want, sin however we want, do whatever we want, and everything's all good. You, you listen to people talk uh, nowadays or social media and everybody thinks that uh, they're, they're rapture ready. He said without spot or wrinkle. He said there are going to be two in a field. One's going to be taken, one's going to be left. Ten virgins, five taken, five foolish. And, and that, the only difference between the virgins is that five were wise and five were, were foolish. There's a lot of foolishness that goes on in, in Christianity today. And uh, I, I think, David, you can prove me wrong. Um, I think it's more serious than what we think it is. I think 
I, I kind of, I, I can see it the way that I heard Dr. Barkley say it is, there's a lot of people saying they're a Christian, but they're, they're believing stupid stuff. I believe they can live however they want to live. And because Jesus died for all, all are saved. Well, in one aspect, all are saved, but many have not received the salvation to walk in it. Thus, they are not saved. The Bible talks about your name being blotted out of the, the Lamb's book of life and, and uh, different things like this that shows that we can. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things? They list all the great things. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. That sounded to me like preachers. How, how can you be a preacher, be in the pulpit every week, two, three times a week and, and preaching? And Jesus says, I never knew you. This is not David. This is, um, I'm quoting Bible verses. You can look up the Bible verses. I'm just saying what, what the Bible says. And this is where deception comes in. We start believing things that Jesus did not say. Well, Jesus loves us. Oh, yeah, he loves you. He'll love you all the way to hell. He'll, he'll actually be knocking on your door all the way to hell, too, trying to get you to wake up and stop and, and, and turn. Have you, have you, has you ever, you know, be honest, we're just family. Have you ever felt a tug at your heart like, don't do that? Why would God bother? If it's not important, why would he bother? Oh, they're just going to get mad at you. Yeah, you'll get there in a few weeks, whatever. Ah, there's other people to hang out with. Who cares? No, God, God checks our spirit. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't go that way. Be, there's got to be a greater reason than just so that we don't have a bad day. And if you, you really look at, I was listening to an audio on uh, the crucifixion and what every component, um, you know, the crown and everything, um, just something I'm kind of praying about. I might do it at Easter time and walk through it. And so, I was kind of listening to it to see how it, you know, hit my heart on something that I want to do at Christmas time. I mean, at Easter time. And it's like, my goodness, the price. When they were describing that by his stripes, we are healed. And they were telling what the, the typical person, their spine was exposed, their bowels were cut open. And they determined that at the 40th, uh, was it 39 stripes? Okay, they determined at the 40th stripe, the person would die. So they moved it down to 39 because they didn't want him to die yet. And the pain that they were going through. And I, I mean, and if you think when you stop and you read that. Uh, the, like from a medical, in fact, there's YouTube videos where medical doctors are are describing these things. And uh, and you think of the pain and the suffering that he went through to get us by his stripes we are healed and how dependent we are on medicines. We run to the doctor every time something feels a little bit itchy in our body. You're going to tell me that that, that has no impact? Like I said, as I, as I look through these things, it seems to me like we slap the Lord in the face many times for our own comfort. 
And I think we need to take it serious, especially now that we see the time approaching. So Jesus is coming back after a church that is without spot or wrinkle. This is where I've said many times we need to live a life of repentance, uh, meaning that you ought to repent multiple times a day. Every time you get a stupid thought, every time you, you start to do something, smack somebody or, you know, whatever, you need to, you need to live a life of repentance. Um, and, and walk with him. He is a holy God, and we are not worthy to even walk with him, uh, except that he made it possible for us. And uh, so let's all stand. And so I think that as we go through this, so again, we're going to pick up on, on Revelation chapter 4. Uh, next Wednesday, we're going to walk, just walk through verse by verse, and we'll just go however far we go each week, and um, uh, we'll discuss that and answer any questions. Anybody have any questions on tonight? Uh, this could be this one, one second. This could be a really in-depth study, which I really don't want to go on the in-depth uh, on it. I just wanted to to paint a picture to, and especially the graph for you to see the graph, so you could kind of visually see what I'm talking about. Go ahead. Uh, do we know exactly who the prophets are going to be? We're gonna we'll talk about that. That uh, that's at the end. But just to answer your question, no. People like to say. Some people say it was Enoch and Elisha because it's appointed unto man wants to die. Uh, and they didn't see death. Um, there's another one I can't remember off the top of my head who it is, uh, and they've got their reasons for that. But the Bible doesn't say, so we don't know. So anybody that's saying is just speculating. Why couldn't it just be two righteous people that lived during the day? I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying why. You know why couldn't it be? And uh, the the one where it says, well, Elijah and Enoch. They were uh, raptured, so they never saw death. Well, neither is anybody that goes up in the rapture. So, I mean, that's kind of a mute point. Oh, yeah, that's the other two on Mount Transfiguration. But it's just speculation because we don't know. Any other questions? Did it make somewhat sense? I mean, did you see where the 70 weeks lines out and how? Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word.